Drop off the kids or put them to bed. Turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Childish, oh shit. Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I am sitting here with Christina Kuzmich and producer Tony Thaxton. Hello. And this is the second official show that we've recorded in the official studio. Um, You may hear planes going by. That's actually all you're going to hear. I mean, you're also going to hear a show, but uh, I'm unclear how much of Burbank airplane noise is going to infiltrate, so hopefully not too much. So just, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. So, Christina... I can make airplane noises for you if you want. Oh, I must take you up on that. Okay. <laughs> just right now. Um, is that good? That was... No, that was horrible. That was I'll like an engine it. sound. I'll work on it for next time. I'm Thank sorry. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, Christina, this is what I know about you. You're Croatian. Yes. You have three children. Yes. You are a YouTube personality. Be, yes. I'm, I don't even know what to call my Yeah, job, what do you sure. call yourself? I... Uh, mom i don't know <laughs> you're a professional mom human you're a I, professional mom and humorist and writer and on-screen personality yes you know what i started writing down when they asked for my job description i'm like silly things like school forms or whatever. Uh-huh. i just write cheerleader for parents <laughs> which then i started thinking because that's what i feel like all my content is about like cheerleading parents but then i thought people are literally picturing me like in pom-poms showing up at like mom meetings and that's right just weird yeah. So I, I might need to think of a better title. I don't know what to put down on those kind of forms either. I um, I either, sometimes I write broadcaster, sometimes I write entertainer. I made the mistake one time of writing performer. Mm. Um, it was, I was having surgery and I'd written performer. And then when they were talking to me about like how long the recovery is going to yeah. be, I could tell that they thought I was asking because I was like, you know, how long until I can get back into performing in the circus or whatever, oh. something really strenuous, which is not at all what yes. I needed. <laughs> So I don't do that one anymore. Tony, what do you write on on medical forms? Uh, uh, these days, just I write freelance. You just write free, and they they don't follow up on that. Mm, I don't think so. Or sometimes I write musician. Yeah, too. yeah. Which is what you are. Yeah, but I do other things. That's right. Like produce. That's right. That's the thing. We're all doing so many different yes. things. Yes. Um, somebody told me to write content creator, but that sounds so boring, <laughs> doesn't it? Content creator. Because I create videos to then I also, parents. Um, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to cheerleader and maybe i'll buy some pom-poms <laughs> right maybe i'll learn some moves were you Watch ever out. actually a cheerleader no i am the least athletic person there is like i if you try to high five me i'll miss like that's how 
not athletic. <laughs> Did you have you ever dropped one of your kids? I'm sure because I was I've I'm also pretty uncoordinated. Yeah. Up till now, well, not like I plan on doing it, but thankfully I have not dropped. Like I grip them pretty hard. Yeah. Um, because I'm afraid that I'll be like you and I, before we started recording, we're talking about just being deliriously tired, waking up a lot with the kid kids. Um, and I'm afraid that I will absentmindedly like drop one and people have assured me it won't happen, but see, I don't remember if I have, I'm assuming I have just because I know what a klutz I am, (laughs) but I think something clicked. Like my brain was like, I'm not going to let you remember that if that happens. Right. Oh, that's nice. You have a protective brain. Sometimes. My brain also keeps me up all night with guilt. So it's kind of a love-hate relationship with my brain. Okay. We need to get into all of that. But, <laughs> but, I, also, but I also need to tell everyone that in 2011, you were on Oprah's search for the next TV star, which yeah. was crazy. pretty clear from the title. She was searching for the next TV star. Yeah. And you won. I won. And you were given your own show called The Ambush Cook. Yeah. That was not a title I wanted. <laughs> I talk about that in my book. <laughs> Um, Has your book come out? No, it's coming out early 2020. Okay. Remind me what it's but called. But it's done. It's called Hold On But Don't Hold Still. And the whole idea behind that, because I've gone through, I share a lot of the hard stuff I went through in life in the book. And whether it's a bad parenting day or a bad life day or whatever, you know, you got to hold on, you can't give up, but you can't hold still, meaning you can't be passive. You got to keep moving forward. Right. So that's where that came from. But um, yeah, so I went through this really horrible time where I was depressed. I was newly divorced and I was on food stamps and I when was depressed. Was uh, this was in 2006 okay, and 2007 and began in 2008. Those, those were just rough times. <laughs> yeah. And um, just kind of sunk into this depression and it just, it was just bad. I felt like my kids deserve better than me. I had a list going of like pros and cons of how my suicide would affect my kids. And it was just like, I can't even like now talking about it just seems so unreal. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then cooking basically i had this epiphany one day that like the only way to stop obsessing over how much i think my life sucks is to start thinking outside myself so i was like i'm gonna volunteer and i got rejected from every place i called hospitals soup kitchens all that stuff because i had a two and a three-year-old and i couldn't afford a babysitter and you can't bring a two and a three-year-old to volunteer because they're gonna burn the place down let's be honest (laughs) and so um and so i basically thought even when i feel completely worthless and i feel like i have nothing and i'm a total loser is there something i'm confident in and the only thing I could think of is I can cook a great meal on just a few bucks. So I created a place to volunteer in my little apartment. And I shared an apartment with a roommate. I, I had I shared a room with my kids because I couldn't afford our own apartment. And then there was a roommate in the other room. And sh- she was kind enough to let me do this. And I emailed all my contacts in the LA area where I live. And I said, I'm going to feed people on Wednesdays. So if you know anyone who needs a meal or maybe they're wealthy but just lonely, whatever, bring them. And I started feeding people on Wednesday nights. And it was I call it my turning point. It was like the thing that got me out of this. I suck and I'm worthless and I can't do anything. And so I'm obviously super passionate about when people are down, just saying like, what's that one little thing? Even if it seems insignificant, Mm -hmm. like what's that one thing that you can grow into something amazing. So anyway, years later, I meet my current husband, I get married and he encouraged me like, you know, you've just been in survival mode. What do you want to do? Pursue something, do something with your passion. And I said, cooking saved my life. It literally saved my life. So I'm going to make some cooking videos and just post them and didn't think much of it. And within weeks, I'm on the phone with Mark Burnett's people. Mark Burnett was the one that was producing the show. And then weeks later, I'm meeting Oprah. And a few weeks later, I'm winning a cooking show. It was just the most insane thing. But I, I love, like, again, it's just such a testament to we all spend so much time thinking about everything we don't have and everything we lack and everything we can't do and everything, you know, all the negative stuff. And when you just decide to find that tiny little thing, even if it seems like nothing and unimportant and focus on that, on like what you, who you are and what you can offer, 
it can turn into freaking Oprah. <laughs> How did it happen that all of a sudden you were in the running for the show? So after I made those few videos, um, this complete stranger saw them on YouTube and contacted me and said, you should, you, I love your personality. You should enter that Oprah competition. And I was like, I don't have a working television right now. Cause even when I got remarried, we had no money. He was in mm -hmm. grad school. I was still waiting tables. And, um, I said, I have I don't have a working television. I know who Oprah is. I don't know what about the show. So she sent me the link and my husband was like my biggest cheerleader was like, babe, just enter. Like, you're perfect for this. So I sent in a little audition video and there were, I think, 15,000 videos sent in. And again, a few weeks later, people from Mark Burnett's office are like, we love your video. You made it past step one. And then it was step two and that was step three. And then basically 10 people made it to the reality show. And so I competed every week. Somebody went home and every week that I stayed, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I was certain I was the first one to go home. You know, every week I'm, uh, my suitcase was packed. I'm going home today. Um, and then just ended up winning. And, and I, even though I'm not doing anything with cooking now, my focus is completely parenting. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for Oprah, because I think the reason my stuff has resonated with parents is because I've been really raw and authentic. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I remember you know, after winning the show, Oprah literally grabbing me by the shoulders and me not trying to pee myself, trying not to pee myself <laughs> because Oprah is touching me <laughs> and, um, and her saying, you know, stay the way you are. Like, don't lose your spunk. Don't lose. And she even said like, people will try to change you, especially in the entertainment industry, stay authentic. And I have her voice in my head now. I don't need it so much now because now I'm used to being authentic. When I was first starting, it's so easy to go, well, what's that person doing and why are their videos working or why is this? And you start comparing and all of a sudden you're becoming who somebody else is instead of really truly being authentic. So I'm thankful for that whole journey, even though I'm not doing that stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. It was, I don't, and, and also her encouraged. So when I first started making my parenting videos, they were all just funny. And then I started hearing from moms who were struggling and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't even shared my story of depression and all this stuff. Maybe I should share mine. And again, if I didn't have that Oprah's voice in my head going like, be brave and put yourself out there and blah, blah, blah. I don't know that I would have been confident enough mm -hmm. to share because there's a lot of shame attached or it was, I don't feel it now, but there was a lot of shame for a while attached to like the fact that I couldn't feed my kids. And I, sometimes, you know, I had a friend who worked at Starbucks and would, the manager agreed to let him take home the stale goods. They weren't like moldy or, you know, but mm -hmm. they couldn't serve them anymore. And I, a lot of days I would feed my kids stale Starbucks muffins, you know, for dinner. And so there's all the shame attached to it that is now gone. But yeah, if it wasn't for, you know, that voice of like, be authentic, I don't know what I'd be doing. It. Were you raised to be vulnerable? Mm, not really. Um, I felt like I was always kind of self-conscious about who I was because I was always too much. Mm. You're too loud. You're too hyper. You're too, 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 too. And then when you're told that a lot, you grow up and you, you feel like you're too much. And it's funny how being too much can make you feel like not enough, if that makes sense. And so I just totally. always felt like I had to like, you know, especially you're too emotional, you're too dramatic. So everything had to be toned down. My personality had to be toned down. You know, my emotions had to be toned down and it's interesting though, anything else I've tried in life when I was toning that down failed. Mm -hmm. The minute I, sorry, go ahead. And no, I was going to say the minute I decided I'm going to be authentic and you know what, you don't have to like it. Like I'm not, I don't expect everybody to like me or enjoy my stuff. That's fine. Um, 
that's when I saw success. Who told you that you were too much? And by the way, I'm relating so strongly because I was told that I needed too much. Like you mm. need too much attention. You need too, too much. Oh, that's yeah. All these things. And so it made it really hard for me in relationships as I got older because I was always trying to not need anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I want to say everyone, but that sounds so general. But I mean, I heard it from family members. I heard it from teachers, you know, I was like the crazy kid that, and, and it's interesting. Like, I feel like sometimes our most, I tell parents this all the time. Sometimes your kid's most annoying trait might actually be their greatest strength. Mm. And now like, you know, I I was too curious. I asked too many questions. I think that's why I, you know, have the insight or whatever that I have, or even was able to dig myself out of, you know, all the crap I went through because I was constantly curious and trying to see like, how are other people doing it? and, And what can I learn from them? And I don't, I don't know. I just, I had to sort of, first of all, it's accepting who you are. Right. And I don't mean like if you're a horrible human being, accepting you're like, there (laughs) there are things we all can work on. But as far as like personality stuff, like accepting who I am. And then part two of that, accepting that not everyone's going to like that. You know, it's hard to accept that. It is, but this is how I see it. And it's helped me. I hate celery. Okay. I love all of the vegetables, but I despise it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to smell it. It's horrible. So I know this is a silly example, but the fact that I hate celery does not make celery bad. There are millions of people who love celery. They put peanut butter on it. They juice it because they're freaks and drink it for breakfast. <laughs> like, so it's kind of seeing it how, first of all, unrealistic it is that everyone's going to like you. Mm-hmm. It's just unrealistic, right? And then being able to accept that just because these people don't doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there are plenty of people that do like me and there are plenty of people that I do get along with. So I think we set unrealistic expectations. I mean, I, I can't think of one human being. Oprah. There are people who hate Oprah. I know. <laughs> you know. Periodically, I'll look at like iTunes reviews or just sort of go online to see like what, like Amy Poehler is someone yeah. I'm like, what possible bad thing could anyone say about Amy Poehler? And people hate her. Yeah. Anyone yeah. in the public eye. Yeah. It's really, it really isn't about the salary. <laughs> it's yes. about the person who doesn't like the salary. Yes, exactly. So did you grow up in Croatia? Yes. What was I, that like? I mean, normal for me, <laughs> but very different from the US. Um, we didn't have much money and it's just a very different culture. And then when I was 12, um, the war started in Croatia. And so that you kind of grow up overnight because all of a sudden, you know, it's not about what shirt you're going to wear to school, but like, oh, that sound means I have to run to the basement. Mm. What? Um, um, okay. Hi, dumb person. No, you're who not. No, you're not. Public school education, except that I had a private school education, but still, uh, <laughs> private than public. What war was? What was going on? So basically, it was a civil war. Uh, Croatia used to be part of a country called Yugoslavia, and there were six republics, kind of like states. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually, some of them decided to separate. Croatia being one of them, and they were under communist leadership and become democracies. And then um, the leader of Serbia, that republic, um, wanted to create sort of Great Serbia, this great communist country, and started trying to get territory from the other this is like the bare anybody listening from that part of the world be like you're not saying it correctly because there's so many more details obviously religion plays into it like most wars it's right. very complicated it goes back you know mm-hmm. centuries right but, but essentially um, a civil war yes um and very for me very unexpected because it's like my grandparents even though they were croatian they lived in serbia who was and serbians were supposed to be the enemy you know and i had friends there so it's mm-hmm. kind of like if all of a sudden the arizona and you have like family there and friends and all of a sudden you're supposed to be at war it's very confusing thing for a 12 year old but um and then 
a, was there a lot of violence right around you? Yeah. So uh, our city was one of the cities they were really trying to occupy because we were very close to the Serbian border. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the small towns or uh, villages around were occupied. And it was just, it was, you can still, even now I'm going back in a few weeks, less, I don't know. Um, you can still see, like there's still buildings and streets that are, that show the damage from mm-hmm. the war. Not everything has been rebuilt. But then when I was 14, um, beginning of high school, we moved to the U S and that was like, you know, being a 14 year old girl is hard enough. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like completely different culture and a Did lot you of speak English. Not a lot, like a little, but not, I, I was a mess. I mm-hmm. mean, I was, I was, I had like no friends. I was a dork and I would, I didn't understand the American sayings and you know, all that stuff. So I did theater cause that's where everybody goes who doesn't fit in. That's, <laughs> that's how I got into the entertainment part. Um, but, and then I also had that survival guilt of my friends are home in basements trying to survive and I am at a mall. <laughs> shopping you know mm-hmm. like a lot of a lot of confusing stuff right right um what were the circumstances under which you guys moved so basically my dad got offered a job my dad had traveled to the u.s before he was a professor and he taught different um classes and he got when they found out what was happening and all that they were like get your family out you can work here blah blah, blah. he got a, a job at a grad school a seminary and um never planned on my family was never like, we're moving to the U.S. They were like, we're going to go for a little bit. Mm. And then when things calmed down back home, they all moved back. So I stayed. And how, at, at, how old were you when they moved I was back? in college. Okay. So at Still that point. Though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Um, Southern California. Uh, Vanguard University. It's in Orange County, California. I grew up in Orange County. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. It's in Costa Mesa. I lived in Costa Mesa. Oh, my God. Well, I, I, <laughs> after college, I uh, grew up in Corona del Mar. Then okay. I went to I college. I love that area. It's very pretty. I feel like when I lived there, I felt like I was on vacation every day. It just feels like a vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's very... It. Uh, well, I lived there before the OC oh, and, okay. uh, and, and the reality shows and stuff, but... It is very picturesque. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I went to college and I went to Pomona College in Claremont. And then I came back and lived in Costa Mesa on 19th and Fullerton. Oh, I know that area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where's Vanguard? This is hyper local content for the people from Costa Mesa who are I'm trying to rabbit remember. fans. What's the address? Is there a fair drive? Yes. There's, yes. It's across from the fair. Yeah. That's where it is. It's across from the fair. Okay. That's super close to where I live. Yeah. Well, get out. Um, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you moved here had trouble fitting in, had to, had to learn your American sayings really fast. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the sayings were that you don't remember? Well, so like this was, I sh- should have by now learned this one because this was college, freshman year. They put in like new carpets or whatever and they made a really big deal about, you know, in the dorms, like you're going to have to pay if you were in the carpet. And my roommate and I spilled something, I think it was like grape juice or something horrible. And so I'm on all fours, like on the ground, just like scrubbing this, trying to get the stain out. And my roommate keeps screaming, put some elbow grease into it, put some elbow grease into it. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm stressed out and scrubbing and she keeps screaming. I'm like, I have no idea what that means, but I know that our skin has natural oils in it. And maybe she knows like some hack. <laughs> and so I literally pull my sleeve up and I start like rubbing my elbow on the stain. And it was almost like the world stopped. She was like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> and then literally for the rest, and I had a rug burn and for the, cause I really put some elbow right. into it. And for the rest of the school year, like randomly through campus, somebody would be like, how's that elbow? It's like, I never, I never heard the end of it. That's funny. What were you studying there? Theater. Theater. Yeah. So had you been um, interested in entertainment before you ended up in uh, drama in well, high school? Well, my mom always tells the stories of how like 
you know, when I was little, 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 and you had to do like the school performance or whatever, she's like, there's something about it. Like you'd show up on stage and you would just like stand out. Even if you didn't have a big part, there was just something. And so, you know, even when I was little, like they would give me extra lines. I think I was just comfortable. Mm-hmm. Even now, like I'm, go- I'm on a 20 city tour and I'm more comfortable on stage than in front of a camera. Even, even though it's live and you don't get a second take and people paid to see you and you better give them something, you know, Uh I just feel really comfortable on stage, which was another thing that whole, like when you're little, you know, me being comfortable on stage, a lot of times, oh, you just love being the center of attention. Right. And it's so hard. Like, I feel like we, we put down our gifts to what, please somebody else Mm -hmm. to prove something. I mean, it's just silly. And now I embrace it. I'm like, I don't care what you want to call it. I like being on stage. (laughs) So, um, so I always had that in me. And then when I was in high school and started doing theater again, I was so, I was such an insecure. I mean, again, a lot of 14 year olds, you know, anyway, are insecure. Right. But I was so insecure and I was in this new place and I was worried about my friends back home. Like there were so many emotions going on that I shouldn't have even had at 14 and being on stage was like, I'm comfortable here. It feels like, like a it feels safe. Yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel safe. I feel like I know what I'm doing. I feel like I, I'm confident in this. Um, so in a way it was almost like therapy to me because it gave me a place where I felt good about me. So what was, be, I mean, cause this was like before videos and YouTube yeah. and all that stuff. What was the dream? Were you hoping to, to do Broadway? I actually, not Broadway cause I cannot sing maybe like off Broadway, not musical Broadway. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought I'll do, maybe I can make a living doing theater for the rest of my life. And then I thought maybe I'll write one woman shows, which is funny because now I'm on a, even though I'm being myself on tour, it's basically a one woman show. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got married young, right out of college and had two kids and it was, you know, the marriage wasn't healthy and I left and then I just went into survival mode. Uh, my kids were with their dad on the weekends. And so I would work two, sometimes three jobs all weekend. And I sort of put everything on the back burner. And then when I got remarried and my husband encouraged me, you know, what do you want to do? And I decided to make those cooking videos. Like, yes, they were cooking videos, but if you watch them, please don't. Um, (laughs) They are like, they're about cooking, but it's so much of it is just me trying to be, you know, because I, I always had this desire to encourage moms. Ever since I was sleeping on that floor, sharing room with my kids, I oh, anything I create now, I think, what did I need when I was that girl? Mm. Like, what does that girl need? And so even with cooking, like my videos, I'm showing a recipe, but I'm literally trying to encourage that mom that's struggling. So there's a lot of humor and there's a lot of, you know, it was very entertaining. Like, do you know right. what I mean? So I always sort of, that theater background and performer was always in there. What, um, what did that girl need? The one that you were? Well, so I call my, like my tour is called hope and humor tour. And that's basically sort of the basics. Then you can go into details. I needed hope. I needed to know that this is not permanent, that a bad year or two or five doesn't equal a bad life. It equals a bad year or two or five. I needed to know that I was not the only one going through this. I needed to know that life could be okay. Um, I needed to know that I had the tools already to get out of this. I just wasn't using them. Um, I had everything in me. I had everything I needed to pull myself out of this. I just needed to tap into that and actually feel confident enough to do it. And then I also needed the humor. I needed to be able to laugh with somebody about this is life and this is motherhood. To me, humor is like medicine. I always say you can, especially parenting, but anything in life, you can do it without humor, but it's kind of like trying to eat soup with a fork. (laughs) Like you'll still get a little goodness, but you're going to miss out on so much stuff because you need, you need to be, I feel like it's a basic need we all have. Um, can I ask what, what happened in your first marriage? Um, 
I don't go into, so I'll just tell you it was just an unhealthy relationship. The reason I don't talk about it publicly um, is because I'm always very careful about when something just affects me and it's just my story, I'll tell the world. But when it, somebody else is involved and especially with my kids, you know, I always think I want them to have a right to tell that story too. So what I've said is if I ever talk about my marriage, I will do it with my ex-husband and he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> He's a very private person. How do your kids feel about you being public? Um, they're mostly good, but we have certain rules, you know, they're teenagers now. So they're like, you're not allowed to post or talk about anything without our permission. And I, every time I've mentioned it, Mike, if it's not mentioned as a general parenting thing, if I've mentioned a specific story, you know, that I've sat down and said, can I tell this story? And then they said, yes. Or they said, no. And I said, but I'll make you extra brownies or, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take you to the mall. Sometimes I have to. But um, it's funny. A lot of people will be like, you only post pictures of your little one. I'm like, he just turned five. He doesn't get a say. The older two keep saying no to me. So you don't see a lot of my older kids on Instagram because they're like, you can't post that. When, when did they start having a say? Um, probably around... Well, actually, they've had a say since I started, because by the time I start, like really kind of became known, they were already, I don't know, like 11 and 13. And the thing is, my children, like my oldest has no social media. Um, my middle one just got Instagram and it's like super private and she's only allowed to, you know, follow people I approve of and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Like it's super, super private. But her friends and my son's friends had social media when they were way younger. And so... I felt like if their friends and some of their friends were following me, if they follow me and they're watching my stuff, I have to, you know, I just thought like when I was a kid, if my mom had been posting stuff and my friends were seeing it and I didn't have any say, I just felt like it was unfair. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, remind me how old your three kids are. So my oldest is turning 16 this summer and then I have a 14 year old and then I have one who just turned five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that one. So the third one is for my second marriage. Got it. Yeah. Uh, tell me more about the Hope and Humor tour. So basically I was approached to do a live show and again, I thought, what did that girl need that was sleeping on the floor that felt like her kids deserve better than her? And so I tried to create this show that has a lot of comedy, but it does have a lot of hope too. And the goal was that every single human who sees it leaves feeling braver and stronger and they can, you know, tackle whether it's again, whether it's a bad parenting day or a bad life day, they can tackle it. And it's been amazing hearing the feedback because I never even, before I even explained it that way publicly, the messages I've been getting is, oh my gosh, I left feeling so much braver or I left feeling like I'm a badass and I can handle what it's been the most amazing thing to hear that because that was the whole goal. So, and it's what the other thing that's been cool is I sort of wrote it for moms. Mm -hmm. There's been so many dads. Um, sometimes coming with the mom, sometimes just like single dads coming on their own. One guy brought his teenage son, which I thought was awesome. And, um, and then there's been a lot of grandparents or people who don't have kids, but just want the message because even though a lot of it is parenting, there's so much in there. That's just general life stuff. And the, and structurally, is it like a one woman show or how do you do it? It's basically me on stage. It's kind of like a combination of, if you went to see a stand up, you know, Comic comedian, yeah. Oh, and I don't want to say TED Talk because it's not that structured, but kind of a combination of mm -hmm. them. Do you consider yourself a motivational speaker? No, I can see why some people would. Be, you know, the content I create. You know what? I, you know what it is. 
with all those labels like motivational speaker, or I've been called a parenting expert, which made me want to throw up <laughs> like all that stuff. I feel like it puts me on a, on some kind of a pedestal of like, I know the answers and I will tell you and you will hear it. Um, whereas I see myself more as dude, I'm struggling too. still, I'm still struggling with parenting and I'm still struggling with life. And I don't want to tell you how to do it. I just mm -hmm. want to hold your hand and say, been there. Let's go to cocktail and talk about it. <laughs> so that's where I kind of cringe with those labels because I feel like they sort of make me seem like I have it figured out and I'm going to teach you. Whereas I'm more like, I don't want to teach you. I just want to walk through it with you. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, during the tough time when you were sleeping on the floor with your mm -hmm. kids, how much of like, how different would it have been if you didn't have children at that time? Oh, I mean, completely because I probably would have just like slept on a friend's couch <laughs> or I, I think I think the hard thing is we have this idea before we have kids of what it's all going to look like. We set up this fantasy that's mm -hmm. completely unrealistic and then we can't reach it. We beat ourselves up. So basically we are horrible bullies to ourselves because we've set ourselves up. We have set our, ourselves up for failure immediately. Like the minute we decide to have children, we've set ourselves up for failure because we decided what it's going to look like and how amazing it was going to be and all that stuff. And so that's just normal parenting. But then when you add to that, I don't know if I can feed my kids. I don't know if we're going to be homeless tomorrow because I can't pay rent. You just start feeling like the biggest loser because this is the one part of your life you want to be perfect at. And mm -hmm. this is the one, like, these are the people you don't want to disappoint because you love them so much. And so it's just debilitating. You know, anything that was happening to me at the time, I'm sleeping on the floor. I don't have a, none of it mattered. It was all about, I can't provide for these children, which is why my mind at the time went into, if I wasn't here, Maybe they would end up with my parents who can provide. Maybe, you know, you start, you start just creating these crazy scenarios. And one thing I want to say about that, because there's been so much, uh, suicide and depression. I still think there's so many misconceptions. There's so much stigma when it comes to mental health. I actually just posted the other day publicly, got a lot of support and a lot of hate for it. I said that I went to the doctor the other day and started antidepressant because I'm going through a really hard time right now with one of my children and struggling. And I know it's situational and not hormonal, but I've tried everything and I'm in therapy and all that, but I need the extra help and that's okay. And it's amazing how many people still are like, oh my gosh, just take a walk. Oh, and I'm God. like, oh my goodness, <laughs> just, just rub this essential oil. Right. Like, just that's, exercise. Yeah. More. That's all great. I believe in all those things, but sometimes you need the extra help. Yeah. And I've been through enough hell in my life to know when I need the extra help. So I, I posted publicly on purpose because I want that mom who's struggling. You know, when I was on that floor, I didn't take the meds. I was offered the meds and I didn't take the meds because so, of the stigma. Were you in therapy at the time? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I found out that you can get free therapy from students who have finished all the coursework, but they have to get the hours in mm -hmm. to get their license. And so found out, you know, how to do that, blah, blah, blah. And saw a therapist which was actually great. I mean, she was a student, but she was great. And, um, and then saw another guy who was also great, <laughs> but I didn't take the meds back then because of the stigma, because there were people in my life that saw me as a complete loser who is sleeping on the floor and sharing room with their kids and can't pay. And, and made me believe that, you know, my kids need better and you're nuts and all that stuff. So I felt like I was going to prove them right. Like mm. I'm the crazy lady. And what if I, if I am on meds, is someone going to come take my kids away? Like I had all the, all the stuff, all the misconception, all that stuff that people, you know, still the stigma, it got me to the point where I didn't take meds and that's why I became suicidal. I never tried, but I thought about it almost daily. Did you have a plan? 
I I didn't have a specific plan. I more thought, okay, what is the, what is a way to go that is going to be like the least like traumatic for everybody around. Mm. Um, but I don't think I would have gotten to that point if I took the meds is the point. And yeah. so I, that's why I shared it publicly this week that I'm starting into dep- for the first time in my life, even though I went through depression before I'm starting one now. Um, I'm not at a point at all where I want to take my life. I love my life, but I know that I need help right now because I worry about, again, I worry about that mom who, and again, she might read some of those negative comments that I've gotten and go, yeah, why can't I just take a walk or pray about it or whatever? And I hope that she'll say, you know, Christina seems to have it together and she's successful and all this stuff and she needs help. If she needs help, why can't I get help? And the other thing I want to say about the whole suicide thing, and this was something that, um, Anthony Bourdain, when he took his life last year, I think it's, it was like one year anniversary recently. Oh. And then um, Kate Spade, mm-hmm. it was like oh, all within a week or right. something. It was crazy. And what really bothered me is there were so many comments I read about how selfish, like you're a parent, how selfish. And here's the thing what pe- that people don't realize. Parents who contemplate suicide, they're not not caring about their children and what, screw the kids. I'll just do what I need to do they actually believe that their children would be better off without that parent. Right. You it's have to start yes, thinking. You have to be in a hell of a lot of pain to believe my children will be better off. I believed that. I thought if I take my life, my kids will actually be better off. They won't have to grow up with this loser mom. She can pass. People can lie how she passed and they get to have a better life because I am ruining their life because I'm a loser. This is, I, this is like so important to me that people know because there's, such a lack of empathy for people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. It's not a selfish thing. Does that make sense? No, f- totally. <sighs> I get yeah. super passionate. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm, I, have, I have little tears in my eyes. Um, are you purposefully not saying who told you these things? Who, who yeah. made you? Okay. Yeah. In fact, in my book, I talk about how there were people in my life who made me feel like, mm. you know, I was, I had destroyed my children cause I left their dad and I had, you know, um, the reason I don't talk about who is I partly, like I said, I'm going to share everything about my own story. I don't feel any sort of need to retaliate. I don't feel the need to put anyone down to make anyone look bad. I have no need for that. And so I want to be able to, whether it's my videos or my book, put my story out there without hurting anybody. Even if people think they deserve <laughs> for me to hurt them. It's, to me, it's not necessary. And I also really, really believe in redemption and I believe in forgiveness and I believe that people can change. And I think about some of the stupid things I said in my twenties or whatever, whatever, even now, probably I say hurtful things. I would like to think the years from now I can grow and learn. Mm-hmm. And so I always think, you know what, maybe they're not that person now. And why am I going to paint them as that? Do, do you get yeah, what I'm saying? Totally. So I just feel like one of the sayings that I say to my audience all the time is like more credit than criticism, more grace than judgment. And that's how you sleep better at night if you mm-hmm. give yourself more credit and more grace. Um, and, but I believe that we not only need to give that to ourselves, we need to give it to other people. So I, I'd like to believe no matter how much you've hurt me, no matter what you've done, there's grace. And I believe people can change. I so believe that. Can you talk um, more about the depression that you're going through now? And just full disclosure, um, I have been in therapy since my 20 in and out of therapy since my 20s um, and also never took antidepressants, even mm. though like everyone around me was on them and it helped them. But yeah. I just had, I was afraid of them mm-hmm. and I felt like, no, 
it's all it's been situational for x many years mm-hmm. you know like i'm a, i'm actually a happy person who's just been in a bad mood for a long time and yeah i um we we, we there's so many stories we can tell ourselves i was to... really afraid of them i think mm-hmm. but then after i had a really traumatic birth with my with my first kid um and maybe like five months later i and i had postpartum depression and five oh. months later i was finally like i like my thoughts are not and it, i had i didn't have the like tv movie violent thoughts or Mm -hmm. anything but i just everything was sad and bleak and dark and lonely and and i was crying and i didn't feel any of the joy that you're supposed to you know we're told we're supposed to feel afterwards um and so i'm like i need help so i went to a therapist and then who i still see Mm -hmm. um specializes in postpartum women she's great and then she referred me to a psychiatrist who specializes in like maternal reproductive women Mm -hmm. stuff um started taking an antidepressant i've gone like up and down in dose but it and i'm also one of those people who's like i probably don't need it anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but it definitely helped me yeah. it definitely helped me it was like and someone else i know who's on them said because i was worried like is it going to change me yeah and he's like it doesn't change you it's like when you have a headache and you take headache medicine mm-hmm. it just takes and it just takes some of the depression away and by the way like you still get sad on it yeah but it just takes the edge off of it Mm -hmm. somebody um commented on the post i wrote and said that the way their doctor explained to them is you're in a boat and you're a badass and you have the strength to get to the other side like you you have you're told you're gonna get there but what if i handed you an oar to help you yeah and i love that that's what the medicine is right like you're you can still get there but it's gonna you're gonna suffer and you're gonna it's a lot Right. It just makes it a little easier. Yeah. And for me, so we're, we have some really serious hard stuff we're dealing with parenting stuff right now. And it's something I never expected to deal with. And again, the only reason I'm not sharing this stuff is because it's my child's story to tell. Um, and so I did the whole, I did like, I started working out for the first time at 39. I hate working out, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to, especially now these last few months, I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all the things you're supposed to do. And it's interesting because when it's a parenting thing, a lot of times we carry a lot of guilt and a lot of, what did I do wrong? Whatever. I don't have that. Um, I think it's because the work I do for other parents, I've been able to do it for myself where I can say, you know what? I'm, I've done everything that's in my control. I, have I been a perfect parent? No, I'm human, but I, I've, I've been a really good parent. Like I can give myself the credit. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I don't beat myself up, but it's just like when, when somebody that you love so much is in pain and struggling, it's going to affect you. And I just got to a point where I was doing everything you're supposed to do. Right. But I always felt like I was about to drown. Like it was like trying to keep my head above water. I could cry at anything, any second, and I couldn't get my work done. And that was a really big thing. Like I couldn't get stuff done. And, um, specifically which just like any like we need to film this or Mm. we need to or whatever or even like you know stuff with my younger kids like i need to be present and and you know joyful and like not their whole world doesn't need to be affected by the fact that mommy's going through something hard because something else do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so um so i basically I, I was thinking about, it. I was thinking maybe I should go talk to a doctor. Maybe I should get help, all this stuff. And I kept thinking, well, it's situational. But then, like you said, what is situational? I don't know how this story ends. So situational, you know. Could be six years. Especially with parenting, right? Like somebody said, well, I lost my dad and I just, and it was really hard. But then I didn't go on medication. Eventually, you know, I was okay. 
but death is like, it's a different thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it is permanent. Whereas this is like, I, I don't know how the story ends. So anyway, um, we shot a video for father's day and I saw that footage and I looked at my eyes and I started bawling. I was like, I don't even look like myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm trying to be happy in it and whatever, right. but it's like the eyes are dead. And I called my producer and I was like, tell me honestly, like, can you tell I'm depressed? And she's like, yeah. I mean, it's so obvious. She's like, mm. the the sparkle, the whatever is gone. And this was like when I was really trying, you know, and everything. But that made me go, wow, like what I feel inside is really showing on the outside. And my younger children are seeing it. And, you know, you can fake it all you want. But so I went and talked to my doctor and he did this, you know, test where they ask you all these questions. And I was like, I think I'm mildly depressed. And he's like, you're severely depressed. Mm. And so I was like, let's do it. Let's get meds. And, you know, and I did. I'm human. I had that feeling of like could I do this on my own? Is this the right thing? But I think, I think the problem is we, we expect ourselves to be superhuman. Right. And life is freaking hard. It's, and it's so also hard. Short. It's also yes. short. Like why not avail yourself of the help? That's, yes. Which I never would have said before. Yeah. Like before I didn't feel that way. Yeah. But now that I sort of trust them in yeah. general, I feel like And that. again, yeah. I, I made a video called right now where I talk about, I think it's called, no, it's called, it's not permanent, where I talk about how anything that's going on in life, I've learned to add right now to it because it helps. Mm. It takes away the permanent. So, you know, my toddler is throwing daily tantrums right now. My teenager hates me right now. The, this divorce is so painful right in now. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like may, add that. And then you don't feel like it's forever. And so that's even with this, like the way I feel and what we're going through is right now. Mm-hmm. It's not permanent, but right now I need some help and that's not permanent either. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. right now for few months or a few years or whatever I need, I'm going to get the help. And I really encourage anyone listening, if you're struggling, like just ignore all the misinformation and the ignorance that's out there and do what you need to do. Like put your sanity and your kids' needs and your own needs before other people's judgment and opinions. Do you get a lot of hate online and how do you deal with it? I get it all, all the time, daily probably. Everything from like you suck to your ugly to like everything. Is this on oh. YouTube primarily? I feel like Facebook is probably where the people are meanest. Oh, interesting. And they're not anonymous on there. I guess they're not anonymous on YouTube oh, either. But they don't even... They don't, people don't they care don't, anymore, They don't right? even care. Yeah. No. Somebody today, I posted something about my tour, and the lady was like, totally overrated show. And so somebody <laughs> said, what city did you see it in? And she goes, I haven't. I wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, my favorite comment, actually, that I've ever gotten was... Um, this woman wanted everybody to hear this. So she went on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, my Twitter, oh, everywhere. A, de- a devoted hater. Yes. My, the most ironic weird thing was that her profile picture was, I love Jesus. <laughs> and she wrote, you are known as, you know, somebody who's blunt and tells the truth about parenting and all stuff, but you're lying to your audience. Why don't you admit that you were born male? It's obvious by your jawline. Oh my God. And of course, like I ran to the mirror. I was like, my jawline <laughs> never noticed my yeah. jawline before but she was so determined and like she would just keep com- i didn't block her at first right. she kept coming back and like commenting on every like oh, look at her jawline so it's sweet. so obvious yeah um and she needs a hug really bad but okay so this is how i stopped caring i started realizing that this is not about me it's not about me it's about whatever's going on in this person's life. And again, I don't expect everyone to like me. And the way I describe it, I actually talk about it on my tour. It's kind of like we're all carrying around suitcases and we have our insecurity suitcase. We got our worry suitcase. We got our to-do suitcase. We all got suitcases we're carrying around, right? 
And when somebody is judging you, when somebody, especially like if you have loved ones who are sitting down with you and saying, Hey, you got to work on this. That's a totally different mm-hmm. thing. But some random stranger is deciding. Who doesn't this, know you. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't know you at all. So it's pewing hand. They're basically holding up their suitcase of misery mm-hmm. that they feel about themselves and their life choices. And they're saying, here you go, carry it for me. And I used to carry everybody's, everybody hand me a suitcase. I carry, I was like a bellhop carrying everybody's luggage. And then I realized I started asking myself literally would stop myself and go, is that my suitcase? That's not my suitcase. That's her suitcase. I'm not picking it up. And when you give yourself that visual, I'm not picking it up. It's so much easier to let it go. And then as far as your own suitcases, cause we all have our suitcases, like don't try to hand those to other people, sit down with a great therapist or friend and say, Hey, can we unpack some of these suitcases mm-hmm. that I'm carrying around? But like to me, just that visual and I would practice it. Now I don't even have to practice it. And the way, the other thing I say is I don't take the hate personally and, and you know, I don't let it consume me and make me insecure the same way. I don't take the love and adoration personally and let it give me some crazy ego because the truth is you don't know me, whether you hate me or you love me. Like I, my stuff has to be based on the people in my life, my inner circle who I know and I trust and will tell me the truth. And if that's where I feel loved and supported and they are not, you know, telling me, Hey, this is, you know, whatever you got to work on this, then I'm good. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. We let too many outside influences. It's we do. Although when people offer me love and adoration, it is real. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I was actually about to go into long monologue at how much I adore you and love you. <laughs> Uh, wait, sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> You're about to go into what? I'm going to ask like, a monologue about how oh, much I oh, love yes. you. I you really didn't hear I thought you just wanted you. her to yeah. say oh. it. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually, I literally didn't hear Beautiful. the word monologue, but see, and I know that you're telling the truth because you're known for being authentic yes. and truthful. Yes. <laughs> um, I think my thing, and now I'm now I'm just going to spill my shit on you. It's not your yeah, shit. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm not picking it up anyway. Okay. Um, for the like gen when i'm in a good headspace i'm pretty i'm pretty like i've been doing it long enough to mm-hmm. to not take it in and to get that it's about them but occasionally there are criticisms which are like here's why your show's not good anymore and or not good not good or not good anymore or here's where you need to change or da, da, da. and like that's the stuff that i start if i'm not careful i do start to take it in and i start to think do i need to change and then and and to say something that's going to make uh, hardcore listeners be like, what specifically is she talking about? There are decisions I've made and then unmade with my show where it's like, I made them because I was listening to too many outside voices mm. and I wasn't trusting my gut. When I trust my gut, then everything's fine. Cause at least then I'm doing what I believe yeah. in, but it's hard in this well, industry let me ask not to you. start listening to voices. Totally. I'm going to totally Dr. Phil you here. Oh, wonderful. But when, <laughs> when, um, when you have those moments of, oh my gosh, you know, where you're kind of letting it get to you, is it because part of that is a lie you've believed about yourself? Because for example, yeah, when somebody makes that, jo- like the woman that made that jawline comment, it didn't affect me because I know I was born female, <laughs> right? Right. So there's no truth to this. It doesn't affect me. Um, it didn't make you go, and I'm not saying yeah. you should, it didn't make you go like, oh, is there something about my jawline that I'm no, not No, because it's of? something I've just never been self-conscious about. Right. Like if she had said something about a body part, I'd been self-conscious about the maybe, but yeah. you know what I mean? It was just something yes. that never affected totally. me. So it was like, whatever. Um, but if somebody says to me, you know, you're too loud, you're too, whatever, something mm-hmm. that I was criticized for as, you know, a child, then again, not anymore because I'm not picking up suitcases, but before it would, it, it would affect me. I would go, oh my gosh. I, I, sh- I should be calmer. I should talk quieter. I should, mm-hmm. you know? And so then I had to go, 
this is a lie I've been told my whole life that I started believing. And we, and I believe that every single human being, I don't care how healthy you are, we all have lies that we still believe that we were told as a child. Yeah. Whether we were told, literally told by somebody or a scenario happened that made us believe it. Maybe the words weren't there, but something happened. We all are carrying around those lies. And we just got to identify like, that's a lie. That's not a truth about me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like there are certain areas that I'm not insecure about. Yeah. Like if someone thinks I'm dumb or uneducated or yeah. whatever, like that kind of bounces off mm -hmm. because that's something that I know, I know that that's not a weakness. But yeah. The, but when they tap into, yeah, you're right. It is. It's stuff that you believe. Which actually kids. you can look at as a positive and go, okay, they just completely pointed out to me because of the way it affected me, what I need to work on. Like this mm -hmm. is an area where I want to be less insecure. I want to gain more confidence. How do I do that? Right. So. Right. Um, and have you always believed in therapy? Yeah. So my mom was actually, um, when I was in high school, she went back to school and became a licensed marriage and family therapy. So it was something I sort of, I guess in Croatia I didn't because I don't even know what it's like now. Maybe it's changed, but when I was a little like therapy wasn't as common or definitely as talked about as in America. I think that's probably true for most of the world. It's very accepted in America and I think even encouraged now, which is great. But, um, I wish I'd gone to therapy when I was, when I moved to America, mm -hmm. like I probably would have dealt with things a lot easier and quicker, you know, the whole move and war stuff and all that stuff. Um, I'm a huge believer in therapy. I, my oldest son is in therapy. I am trying to encourage my middle child to go into therapy. I just think we spend so much time worrying about our physical health. And our mental health is even more important in some ways. And the, I just having those check-ins and also the, what I told my daughter is like, we're because of what's happening in our family and the thing that led to me getting onto rest, it's affecting the whole family, obviously. And so I told my daughter, I'm like, I know it's adding stress to you. Why? Like, what does it hurt to go have somebody talk to? And she's like, mom, I only want to talk to you. And I said, but Matea, who are you going to talk to about me? Like you get to go mm -hmm. and talk, you know, if there's something bothering you about our relationship or me, you get to talk about it and it's, you know, I don't have to know about it. I just feel like it's a healthy thing to do to have somebody and not, here's the thing too, find a good therapist because there are therapists who will just sit there and you'll just talk, 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 talk. And that's great. Waste of money. I believe in somebody who's going to like ask a lot of questions, challenge you, and you should leave every therapy session almost mentally exhausted because you're like oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I didn't think of it that way, or I can reframe that. Do I have, a, do I have time to tell you a quick story? Yes, okay. of okay. course. This is what a therapist did for me when I was back, single mom, all that stuff. I had already started slowly getting out of my bad, bad, bad place, but mm -hmm. I was still in a rough place. And I'm sitting with this therapist and I said, I just feel like the worst mom ever. I used to be a good mom, but now I like have completely deteriorated. And he was like, okay, give me some examples. So I said, all right, before my children... I mean, sorry, not before my children, before my divorce and my depression, I used to, you know, cook these elaborate meals for my kids. Cause I love cooking. I would cook from scratch for them. They'd have great meals. And I used to take them places, went to the museum, went to the park. Like we were always out and about and doing stuff. And I said, now most days I literally will just like get from 99 cent store, a box of mac and cheese, cook it. That's dinner done. No side dish, nothing. And then instead of taking them out, I'm so depressed. I will put them in front of the TV for hours. Some they're still in their pajamas. I don't even get them dressed. They're sitting in front of the TV for hours while I hide in the bedroom and I cry. And I was like, I'm, I've, I'm a loser. I'm a horrible mom. And he looked at me and he said, wow, you're amazing. And I'm thinking, is he being sarcastic? <laughs> He's like, 
you have gone through so much and you still put your kids' needs first. You take the time to go to the store. You buy that pasta. You boil it. I bet you check whether it's too hot because you don't want them to burn themselves before you serve it. You make sure they're fed. Even though you feel horrible, you make sure their needs are met. And you are so depressed, but you don't want your children seeing you cry all the time. So you put it on show for them so they can laugh and be entertained and have a good time while you hide away to protect them and ball your eyes on them. You are so selfless. You're so amazing. The way he turned that around was so powerful. But what that therapist gave me, again, he could have just listened and been like, no, you're great or whatever. Right. What, with that exercise, what he gave me was a tool I could now use for the rest of my life. And I still, I mean, it's been what, 13 years since that happened. I still use that tool where, you know, I feel like I failed at this or whatever. And I can turn it around and go, yeah, but look at what you, you know, look at what the day is done or blah, blah, blah. blah. It's the whole, give yourself more credit than criticism. Mm-hmm. And I don't even care if you're a parent, we do this. We beat ourselves up over the silliest things. At the end of the day, we lay in bed and we think of everything we didn't get done that we wanted to and how we did things bad and how we should have handled that awkward situation better and we said something we shouldn't have. I mean, we just literally lay there and beat ourselves up. What if we lay down in bed every night and went, I got my kids up in the morning. I made breakfast. I did laundry. I'd return that phone call. I wrote that email. I kept my, you know, house standing and my kids breathing alive. Mm, Woohoo. I'm a badass. Yes. Yeah, like anything. Like I got out of bed deserves a sticker because life is freaking hard. You know, mm-hmm. can you imagine if we just decided I'm going to start? Li- There's a video I made called I got nothing done. And I, the whole time I'm ranting, I got nothing done today. I can't believe I got nothing done. And while I'm talking, the list is going of like tip, what a typical mom does in one day. And right. it's ridiculously long and amazing, but that's what we do. We don't give ourselves mm-hmm. enough credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of it just gets taken for granted. Yeah. Uh, okay. The question that, uh, I've been, but I'm wondering for the whole time, what was Oprah like? Okay. <laughs> she is like the most down to earth person, which I didn't expect. Cause you expect like, oh, you know, yeah. angels to come out. And I think I also expected to be like, maybe a little cold or like super conceited and Mm. she's not at all. My husband got to meet her and hug her. And so his buddies are asking one day, they're like, what's it like to hug Oprah? (laughs) And he's like, without even thinking about it, he's like, it's like taking a warm bath. And that's exactly (laughs) what it's like hanging out with her. It's like taking a warm bath. You feel she makes, this is why I think she was so successful with her talk show. She makes everyone, even little old me, even my husband who, you know, she didn't know if she'd ever see again when she met him. Um, she makes you feel seen and heard. And I actually remember hanging out with her and being like, I want to do that for people in my life, especially my children. I want every conversation I have with them for them to feel like I was seen and I was heard. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She's so good at that. Is there like intense eye contact with her? Like what does she do that makes you seen and heard? You feel like she does, she's just so warm that she makes you feel like you've known each other. Right. Like she doesn't wow. feel like a stranger mm-hmm. at all, even the first time. What was your experience with um, Ambush Cook like? And, what, and you said that, that was not your choice of title. No. So basically, Oprah gives me this whole pep talk, say who you are, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes off and she's doing a million things. And she was, was that a on-air pep talk or was that an off-air pep talk? I don't remember if the cameras were rolling. I don't think that part made it into the show, okay. but there were other parts that, that I rewatched that did. <laughs> but, um, so she goes off, I think she was filming the movie, the Butler or whatever. And 
the network and the producers, everybody gets involved and they start changing up my show. I wanted to first call it Sticky Cook because everything in my life is sticky. And that's what my <laughs> cooking show is called. You know, kids are sticky. Finances are sticky. Uh, my divorce is sticky. Food is sticky. And then they're like, no. So then we were going to call it Christina's Fearless Kitchen. And then it turned into Ambush Cook where I ambushed people and brought them in the kitchen. And I was the expert teaching them how to cook. And it was not me. It was a perfect kitchen with a perfect host. My hair was perfect. My mm. makeup, everything was perfect. And I was like, um, could we do an episode where like my kid starts throwing a tantrum in the middle of me cooking dinner? Cause moms want to see that. And they're like, Oh no, no, no. That's not, that's not going to look good on TV. Mm. Cause again, they're trying to create a perfect cooking show. Right. Can we do a show where I burn the chicken and then we order pizza at the end of the show? Well, that's not really good. You can't do that. Because again, my need was just like, I want the mom who is feeling like a loser to watch this and go, I'm good. I feel good. You know? Yeah. And we can still show great recipes while doing that. You know, I wanted to be in my pajamas in most of the show and <laughs> they wouldn't let me, which now in my tour, I'm in my pajamas most of the tour. So, oh, do you have special tour pajamas? Uh, I changed my pajamas four times because I'm like Taylor Swift and you got to change your outfit. Basically. <laughs> I just go from pajamas to pajamas. But, um, but I just, I felt like I was again, betraying that girl right. who needs to see somebody really normal and relatable and a hot mess on TV. Mm-hmm. So it felt, I just, I just didn't love it. I, I, I cringed at the fact that everything was so perfect. I mean, I would spill something and they would like come and clean it mm-hmm. up. I was like, no, no. Right. And I get that, you know, there's a formula in TV and you follow a formula and this is how cooking shows work. But I was hoping that maybe I would get to do something different. And so that's why when I, you know, now that I do my stuff, I do what I want and mm-hmm. I, and I don't care how much money you offer me. I don't care. You know, I've met with different TV networks, all this stuff over the years. I've been offered ads, you know, different things. Unless I feel like I can be me, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to have that feeling again. I want to be authentic. How much uh, involvement did Oprah have in the ambush cook? Oprah herself. Pretty much none. None. Okay. Yeah. None. Were, were you- they were just launching the network. It was the first year for the network. So there's all these new shows coming out and she's, you know, she has a movie she's doing and all this stuff. And so, you know, we had a team that was in charge, but they were doing the typical what's done on TV. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's do something that's never been done. And that's, I feel like that's why you don't see a lot of new stuff on TV. Like mm-hmm. everything is sort of a copy of something that's sort of been done, right. you know? Right. Uh, tell me about your book. Um, so basically it's a lot of the stuff we covered here, but, um, I started getting all these emails from parents and non-parents who were like, you know, I love that thing you touched on in your video, but I need more. Like, I want to know, how did you get there? How did you get from point A to Z? How did, you know, all that stuff. And so, and I don't have time to reply to everyone. So I feel like this book is a reply all (laughs) like I am going to go into the details of how I walked through that depression, that hard time and got to a point where I love my life and where even now, even though I'm struggling, I can feel confident in who I am and my parenting. And, and again, even though I'm on an antidepressant, I love my life. Like it's not a, you know, one or the other. Um, so I, there's a lot of humor in it and there's a lot of, you know, fun parenting stories. And then there's, there's some heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And it comes out, do you know when in, in 2020? It's supposed to come out early February of 2020. Hold on, but don't hold still. I'm, I'm actually, i writing. It was really hard. They wouldn't let me have a writing partner. That was one of the, why the stipulations when I got my deal, because the editor who I love, um, at Penguin, she felt like people know your voice. 
Mm. You've made over a hundred videos. And if we bring someone else in, is the voice going to start to change a little bit? You know, is it going to influence? And she wanted my readers to really feel like, you know, or if you. we're going to do the audiobook that it sounds like me. Right. So, um, so it felt like labor and delivery without them handing you a baby at the end, which really <laughs> ticked me off. I was like, I want you to hand me a newborn right now. What made you want a writing partner? Because I don't see myself as a good writer. And so I was like, if I can just talk it out and then somebody type it for me and maybe they can help me throw in some big English words that I still haven't learned because I'm from <laughs> Croatia and make me sound a little smarter. That'd be great. So that didn't happen. Got don't it. look for any big words in my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's do a segment called How Dare You? Okay. This is where I ask you personal questions and you can say, how dare you? But first I like to ask on a scale of one to 10, one being extremely private, 10 being an open book, where do you place yourself? If it's just about me, I'm an open book. If it's about anybody, like I said before, about my ex or my kids, then I'm more private. Okay. Wait, so what do I, I say? How dare you if I don't want to If you don't want to answer it, yeah. And the rest I can answer? Yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. Have you ever committed a crime? I stole toilet paper and tampons. Is that a crime? Sure, stealing. I didn't murder anybody. Yeah. I stole tampons and toilet paper from the place where I waited tables when I was super broke. I did eventually admit it and they didn't press charges. But like every, I would carry a big empty bag. I'm not uh-huh. getting like a backpack type um, to work. And I would fill it with toilet paper and tampons because <laughs> I was so broke. I have also stolen toilet paper from oh. a magazine where I worked. It was not a regular thing, but it was like, I don't have any... And I don't have enough toilet paper at home and I'm not going to be hitting the store on the way home. So I'm just going to slide a few of these rolls in my backpack and hope no one's, hope one doesn't roll out. Um, Is this considered a crime you think? Are we criminals? I think it's like a very tiny crime. Tony, have you ever stolen toilet paper? Or tampons? I don't think so. No, I don't think I have. Well, I guess you've lived in a... Living, living yeah. is not a you word. Know, I guess you, you've lived a charmed life. Why don't you live a little? <laughs> yeah, but it was like that really shitty single ply toilet paper. Oh. So I was like, well, I deserved this. No, I work. I was waiting tables at a fancy restaurant. Oh, I got okay. good stuff. Nice. Yeah, and the tampons were just free at this restaurant. So they had like a cabinet in the ladies' room mm. where they would have extra toilet paper, and then they had tampons because if somebody asked, they have to have them. Yeah, and I was just like hoarding them home. I don't think uh. I paid for a single tampon or toilet paper for like two years. But again, I admitted it. People don't, everything. So fine. you admitted it because you I felt t- bad? Yeah. I finally told my manager, um, by the way, I've been taking toilet paper and tampons. I'm sorry. And then nothing happened. And he was like, it's all good. Just ask next time. I was like, okay, I think life's a little better now. I don't think I'll have to ask anymore. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see here. I'm like purposefully, I'm, I'm filtering these because some of the, well, no, you, well, know you don't what? have to. Yeah. I can just okay. tell you. How did, How did you lose your virginity? Um, all I'm going to say is to my first husband. It's not that interesting, actually, or exciting. Is that the horrible to say? No, that's right. <laughs> uh, okay. What was your first heartbreak? Um, first heartbreak. God, are we talking about like, well, we can, it can be anything, right? It's however you define it. Yeah. Because I dated a guy, Jonathan Butcher, um, for like, over two years in high school, well, high school and college, beginning of college. And I thought he was the one. And then I ended up breaking up with him because I realized he wasn't the one. And then like for the next six months or so, I was like, oh, did I just lose the one? That was probably my first like, oh, 
All right. These are really boring answers. No, they're Except not. For the tampons. Um, Ask me more tampon questions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you ever accidentally put in two tampons? Yeah. Okay. Do you want the gross, Tony? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is so, Tony, you might want to. This is so gross. This was only like maybe, no, I think it was before my third baby. So maybe like seven years ago. So I smell so bad. I smell like death. And I'm like, what is going on down there? <laughs> so I'm like, Oh my gosh, something's wrong. I think I have a disease. I'm like changing my underwear every few minutes. He's dying. Are you dying? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like right. I, every time I go to the bathroom, I'm like, something, there's something wrong with my urine. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I smell like death? <laughs> and then my husband's like, yeah, you smell like death. So I don't remember how I figured it out, but I figured it out on my own. I had put in two tampons, I took one out. And didn't realize that I'd already like when I had one, it was up there. Yeah. It was up there for like ever. Oh my gosh. Like I could have died. How miserable was it when you finally got it out? Okay. It was gray. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Are we keeping this in? Are we deleting this out of your podcast? Cause you just lost a ton of listeners. No, I don't think so. No, you're down to like one me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank Um, you for listening. (laughs) Guys, please check. Just, just check. It was great. It was disgusting. But the smell, I still can smell. It was the most unique smell. I'm Ooh. assuming that's what like dead people smell like. Mm. I don't know. Right. How long had the smell been there before right. when you started noticing and when you found it? Well, I noticed if, well, it was like the smell got worse progressively. So first I was like, hmm, did I eat something? My urine smells. Mm-hmm. Like I mostly just went in the bathroom. And then it got to the point where like I'm fully dressed outside and I can smell it. Like- <laughs> <laughs> oh so my God. I, I'm guessing it was there for at least a week. I don't know. Ugh. I can't believe I'm alive telling the story. Have you ever used a diva cup? No, I haven't either, but I feel like am I, well, I actually haven't gotten my period again since my last kid, but in general, like, am I doing periods wrong? I feel like every people are very passionate about the diva. I cup. know. I, I don't know. I hear it's uncomfortable. That's all. I'll oh, say. really? Yeah. Interesting. That's my fear of it. You know, I would feel it. But it, I mean, after two kids, one of us should try anything. it and then text the other. Yes. Like, do it or no. Right. Maybe I will. Yeah. Okay, I don't well, know. let me know. Tampons seem to Should be Should we do it okay. on the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Patreon <laughs> episode. Special Patreon yes. episode. Yes. Um, let's see. Let's see. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question. Okay. One more nosy question. Uh, interesting how two tampon questions got brought up. Yeah. Well, two tampon answers. Right. Oh, and I didn't give my, my two tampon situation was much less intense than yours. I was in college and I had my period and I put a tampon in and then I went to the dining hall and then I came back and I pulled one out and I'm like, wait, there were two in there. It, it was really not. Yeah. Yours really trumps mine. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sad about that. I wish it never happened. Um, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Hmm. It's gonna. I don't know if this is a fair answer because I'm not gonna give you anything specific because I can't think of anything specific because I have mom brain. But like, I'm sure driving home, I'm gonna think of like a specific story I should have shared with you. Any time that I've like genuinely hurt somebody, like I still cringe whenever I think of like times where I'm like, why did I say that? Or why did I do? I right. Uh, especially now, I don't know. I think like having children hopefully makes us more empathetic, kinder humans. And I just, even, even if somebody was like, not so great to me, I just always think like, they might've been suffering. Like who knows what they were going through. I have that different mindset now. Mm -hmm. So when I really genuinely hurt somebody that, especially if they didn't really deserve it, because I was canning them my suitcase. Right. 
That's the stuff right. that makes me cringe more than anything. There's a lot of people I follow on Instagram who will frequently, like women in the public eye, yeah. who will frequently post um, DMs that they get from guys mm. and then they'll block out the guy's name. And it's usually the guy like criticizing them about something. It's like a very sexist yeah. comment usually. And then it'll be like, you know, it's fun being a woman in the public yeah. eye. And I receive those sometimes too. Mm. And the last couple times... I was tempted to post it and then I stopped because I actually had compassion for the person who sent it because they are not trying to be an asshole. They're just accidentally being like, they're just not up on the yeah. culture around policing women's speech patterns. Yeah. or that. Kind I of actually stuff. did out a few guys. I actually made a video about it, but this was like literally, especially one specific one who kept going onto all my videos and posting vulgar things. And it was just like over and over. Yeah, it, this it sounds was, extreme. No, it was extreme. And so I outed him. I thought what was interesting about it. So I posted his thing on Instagram and what was, and he was not sending me a DM. Like he was sending, he right. was posting this publicly. publicly. Yeah. And what was interesting about that is that women defended him. Really? Everybody else was like, good for you. This needs to stop. I would block him and he would come back and you know, with the new whatever. Um, and some women were like, you're all about kindness. This isn't kind. And I'm like, I think, I think think mm. you're meaning nice it's yeah. not nice of me to do this and we women are taught to be nice and mm -hmm. don't don't make anybody uncomfortable blah, blah blah kindness is about exposing this person because maybe just maybe they actually will stop or other people will see it will stop right. and the kindness is about standing up for myself and kindness is about showing other women you don't have to put up with this crap mm -hmm. and it was interesting because the uh, after i did that the amount of that crap that i've gotten has gone down oh really significantly oh, i think men amazing. are scared now <laughs> But again, well, that's extreme because I do think sometimes there's like a guy who's going through a lot and he sends like a message that could be miss or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that's very different from just yeah. perverts. Yeah. Well, Christina Kuzmich, thank you for having me. It was so me. nice having you on the show. Everyone should go. Will you plug all your stuff? Okay. So if you go to Christina Kuzmich, so it's Christina with a K and then last name K-U-Z-M-I-C live.com. That's where you can find out. Um, all the cities I'm coming to for my tour and then otherwise follow me at Christina Kuzmich. It's Kuzmich, but people, it looks like Kuzmich, like K-U-Z-M-I-C, yeah. um, on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and all those fun places. And look for your book in yes. 2020. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. I have another podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons called Childish. It is a parenting-ish podcast. Uh, go to allisonrosen.com for all Allison Rosen related things. I have a book, t-shirts, ringtones, all that. Um, and oh yes. And if you like what you're hearing, even that tampon stuff, mm. if you need more tampon content, yeah. um, tell a friend, download, leave uh, comments on Apple Podcasts because that helps out the show. Tony, where do we find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton. And what? I think I'll have, I think with the day this comes out, I might have some big news dropping that Ooh, day. But I'm news. keeping it vague just in case I'm wrong about that. Big Tony news, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Big Tony news question it's, it's mark? It's coming. <laughs> I think by the time people hear this. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Christina. Oh, thanks for having me. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? 